you've been here with us, you know we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And today, we are in the midst of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing, in essence, he is giving a test to his followers. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a bit of a test for you. But it's not a test that's aimed to address your actions, though that's a part of it. The test is aimed to examine your heart. Jesus wants his followers to examine their hearts to see if what they've been learning, if it's working its way into their life, if they're applying what they're receiving so Jesus starts off this sermon with the famous portion known as the, the Beatitudes. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, are those who mourn, are the meek, are who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. He speaks of those blessings and he says, we're to be salt and light. Then he goes through and he looks at the word of God and the erroneous application that is only in action when the application is to be started in the heart. And Jesus takes it to a heart level. Then we see Jesus address our worship. How we come to God. And he looks at things that we come and do as religious activities such as giving, praying, and fasting. And the way that the Pharisees do it is all for show. But for us... For the followers of Jesus, it's to flow out of the heart. So he's looked at who we are. Then he's looked at how we interpret the law. Then he's, he's, he's looked at right understanding of worship. And last couple of weeks, he's been looking at how we interact with stuff, money, material things. And for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, this is where he's been taking us. As you examine your heart, how do you interact with one another? How do we interact with the people that are beside us? The people in our lives? And the passage that we're going to look at today is truly a fascinating passage, but it's also a passage that is quite commonly misapplied, misunderstood, and misused. So I pray that we will be able to properly by God's grace, look at this passage. So we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to stand with me. If you don't have your Bibles, still stand. The words will be on the screen. We are reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Hear the word of our Lord. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the measurement you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, you will be measured. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, 
And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says that all men are like grass. And that all our glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word stands forever and may this be the word that is faithfully preached today. We recognize unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever felt judged? I think if we took a show of hands, some of you are putting your hands up. I think all of our hands, if we're honest, we've all felt judged. Doesn't feel very good. How many of you have ever judged or been judgmental toward another person? Again, our hands are probably a little slower to go up on this one. But if we are honest with ourselves, and I'll tell you, the hardest person to be honest with is yourself. If we're honest with ourselves, all of our hands go up. We've all been judgmental. We've all judged. Now, how many of you desire, want to have good relationships with others? A good relationship with your spouse, with your family members? A, a good relationship with those that you work with, those that you live by, your neighbors, a good relationship with friends. I hope and pray that would be all of us. So if you affirmed any of these, and I think all of us, unless we're not being honest with ourselves, would affirm all of these, that's you. This message that Jesus gives is for you today. But there's a very real temptation that you're going to have. Here's what you're going to experience as you listen to Jesus speak. You're going to be thinking, hey, this is the person that needs to hear this. The one beside me. The one a few rows back. Maybe I need to let somebody I work with hear this message. This message is some, for somebody else. Because the enemy always wants us to focus on the sin of others. And Jesus today, he's going to deal with you. And he's going to do a little heart surgery. This is a heart test. And let me tell you about heart surgery. I've never had it, but I know this. Nobody wants to get heart surgery. Heart surgery is not a thing you desire. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. You, you, you don't want that. And I'll tell you, today, this passage, if you're willing to hear from the Lord, this passage will be a bit of surgery on your heart. You know, when someone's having heart issues, they'll start to feel a tightness in their pain, in their chest, some pain. And they may say to their spouse, I'm feeling something in my chest, it's getting tighter, and I can feel it in my arm, and... Most spouses would go, you're going to see a doctor. 
You go now. And they would understand there's a command that their spouse would give them. This isn't optional. You go see the doctor. So we're going to see today that there's a command. And when you went to the doctor, the doctor might look at you, examine your heart and say, you know, we've got a concern here. There's something concerning to us, so we're going to see a concern today. And then that doctor might stop and give you some good news. There's a cure. There's a cure to your heart issue. We've got some medicine, and if you take this medicine, it'll help your heart. But finally, as you're leaving, that doctor might pause and say this. There's a caution. Don't take too much medicine. It'll be bad for you. Take it when you're supposed to, and the amounts you're supposed to, as frequently as you're supposed to. So today, in this passage that we're going to see from Jesus, we're going to see a command, a concern, a cure, and a caution. And this whole section that we're looking at, it's under a section where Jesus is speaking of how we relate to one another, and it gets summed up next week in our passage in verse 12 of chapter 7, which says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is commonly referred to as, as the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So that's the idea of what Jesus is pushing into. Now, in the first verse, he gives a command. Judge not that you be not judged. This word for judge in Scripture, it's used in at least 15 different ways. So to understand how this word is being used, we have to go to the context. We have to look at what's being spoken and what the context says. And here's the context, the immediate context that Jesus has. His disciples, he's speaking to them, here is how a kingdom citizen, a Christian lives. And he's showing them how the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, have misunderstood how we're to live. How they've, uh, they're proud. We're to be humble. They do their religious practices to show everybody. We're going to give in such a way that everybody sees we've given. We're going to uh, pray in a way on the street corners. Everybody will see us praying. We're going to fast in a way that everybody sees us. And Jesus is pulling us back saying, hey, your Love of God starts internally. It's a heart issue. And then it works its way out. If your love of God is merely a show externally, you have a heart condition. So Jesus is dealing with this heart condition that the Pharisees and religious leaders have. Now when it's speaking of judgment, one of the ways that judgment is used in Scripture is of a final judgment. A judgment where one day, Scripture teaches this, no one escapes this, one day there will be a judgment to come upon all of us. By God Almighty, a righteous, holy, merciful God, yet just God. That's not what this passage is addressing. It's not speaking of that judgment. This passage is often misused, especially uh, where I'm from in the United States, this verse is loved in the United States by people who hate God. People who hate God love this verse. They'll look at someone and someone will, uh, a church would say, hey, this lifestyle or this decision, this is sin. This is not how we're to live. This is not who we're to be. And the non-believer will look and say, your Bible says don't judge. 
So you can't judge me. Now, is that what that means? It doesn't say do not judge. It says judge not that you be not judged. And he's going to go on and explain that some more. So this is a verse loved by those who hate God. They feel clever when they quote it back to you. What, you're judging me? Don't judge. No, as Christians, we are to be discriminating. We're not to be blind. We are to be a discerning people. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Testing is a method of discerning. So you are to test things to discern them. And there's certain positions, certain institutions, certain things that God gives authority to that are to act in a discerning, some might even say judging, manner. Parents, let's say you ask your children to do the chores. We want you to do the dishes. Take out the trash, feed the dogs, and they don't do it. And you as a parent say, you have not done what was asked of you. Therefore, there are consequences, and here are the consequences. Now, if your child turned to you and said, the Bible says don't judge me. You're judging me right now, you can't judge me. You laugh because we know it's ridiculous as a parent. Bible also says this. It says that you are to train a child in the way they should go. That when they're old, they won't depart from it. Training involves correction. It involves discernment. Where is this person? How can I help them grow into what God would have them to be? Deuteronomy 6 tells parents to impress truths upon their children. So, no, this is not speaking of that. For teachers and employers... Teachers and employers have hard jobs. For a teacher, if you give a test and you have a student that hasn't studied, that hasn't prepared, that hasn't done their work, and they get an F on that test and you hand them the paper with a failing grade, and the student looks at you and says, the Bible says don't judge. You're judging me here. Now that seems ridiculous. That's not what it's speaking of. As an employer, some of you have people that, that work underneath you. If an employee is not doing their job or they work with a poor attitude and you confront that action and they go, nope, don't judge me. That's not what it's speaking of. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily unto the Lord. All of our work is for God's glory. The government. What if somebody steals Sadly, we've had that happen in, at IEC quite a bit. Just a few weeks ago, we had a phone stolen in here in the worship center. Last week, we had someone have a phone stolen in front of the church. We've added police. As you're leaving, you'll see police in front of the church. You'll see security. We've got cameras, so we've noticed who it is. They wear a mask, and I'll tell you, it, who we've seen doing this is 10 or 12-year-old boys who come in from out here, and they run off. And So we would tell you, watch your things. We're doing what we can. But let's say the police catch that young man out there. He's got something. He's stolen. And he looks at him and goes, don't judge me. You can't judge me. No, God has given the police and the government a level of authority where they are to cast a judgment, where they are to be discerning. They're to do those things. 
Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We subject and we obey the government up into the point that the government, what, what the government's asking us to do conflicts with what Christ is calling us to do. That's a different sermon for another time. Our church is elder-led. We have a group of elders that lead this church. They act on behalf of God for the body. Our elders are to lead, feed, and protect the church. They're to keep false teachers from coming into the church. So before I took this position, I went through interviews. I met with a search committee. I met with the elders. What if I looked at them and said, hey, y'all, I feel like y'all are judging me. Don't, don't judge me. Just let me be the pastor. You don't need to know these things. No, that's not what it's speaking of. There's to be a level of discernment. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, the elders, speaking of church leaders in particular here, are keeping a watch over your souls. The elders will give an account for how they've cared and protected and led this body. That's why they're asking me those questions. Because they can't let somebody who's going to teach something in contradiction to this word in. They're to guard it, protect it. 1 Corinthians 5, 12, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth that has sin running rampant. Sin is all over the church, and they're ignoring it. Listen to what he says. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul's telling the church leaders, if you see sin spreading throughout the church, and you're not dealing with it. You're being negligent. Now you see, that's not the type of judging he's talking about here. Jesus, in Matthew 8, says, Hey, if you see a brother in sin, go to them one-on-one. -on -one, go to them with another person. And then, if they don't listen to that and you see the sin in their life, you take it to the church, to the leaders. Now, we're, we're not talking about this discernment type of judgment. Where leadership is discerning these things, processing these things. We're talking uh, about another type of judgment that we'll get in just a minute. So in verse 2 through 4, we're going to see a concern. Here's the concern. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, you will be measured. So it's not don't judge absolutely. How you measure, that's how you're going to be measured. How you uh, judge, that's how you're going to be judged. Jesus is speaking of separating things here. See this word judge? I said it could be used in about 15 different ways. Perhaps the most prominent way it's used is this, to separate things into piles. So what they would do is they would have a pile and they'd say, this is the good pile, the really good pile. This is the okay pile. Things are sort of good there. This is the really bad pile. And they started doing that with people. This is talking about a type of judgment where I say I'm better than you. I'm superior. Where we begin to feel a type of judgment. Have you ever felt that from someone where they like, hey, I'm better than you? Probably most of us have. And that stings, that hurts when someone's acting like they're above you, they're better than you. And that's 
What he's speaking of here is this superiority where we separate people into piles. This word, uh, krinos, is the word for judge here. It's where we get our English word critic. Just goes around judging everything. If you get on social media, you'll see all sorts of people becoming critics. And here's what they're often doing I'm superior. My ideas are superior. Look at the way I said this. I'm so clever. Look at me. Everybody else is lower. Judgment in those critics. No, we're to live our life in such a way that we continually point to God is glorious. See Him. Praise Him. Worship God. My opinions matter little. What God's Word says and who God is matters greatly. So I want to point people to Him and His glory and His truth. But social media is divisive and full of all sorts of judgment and hatred and fight where we are not looking at our brother and sister. And they're going to say, how can I love you made in the image of God with worth and value well? Now we're saying, how can I step on you to make myself look a little better? Jesus said in John 7, 24, Do not judge by appearances, but, but judge with right judgment. Have ever been tempted to do that? Judge by how somebody looks? People may judge by someone's race. People may judge by somebody's age. People may judge and they'll think, I'm better than you because of something external. Remember, Jesus is getting to the heart what's in here. That's what he's pulling us into. And, and look at what James says in James 2, 1 through 4. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes, and say, sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you go stand over there, sit down at my feet because you're below me. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. You see, we're not to cast that type of judgment. We're not to have this judgment where I'm better than you. It's a charitable judgment. The word charitable has the idea of loving. We're to have a loving, I'm going to think the best until the facts show otherwise type of judgment. I'm going to wait and see and, and, and get all the information. I need more information about this. There was a woman. She was, went to church one Sunday. And she was having a minor surgery later that week. So she wrote for the pastor in the offering plate. She could write a prayer request. And she said, hey, I'm having surgery on this day at this hospital at this time. I would so appreciate a visit from the pastor. Well... She went to the hospital, had her surgery, and as she was leaving, she realized the, pa the pastor never visited. And as she's walking down the hall, she sees another church member greets her, and this uh, church member says, hey, the pastor came and visited me today. And she thinks, well, he didn't visit me. So she sits down and writes a letter to her pastor. Dear pastor, you didn't come visit me. You're playing favorites. 
You should be ashamed of yourself. You're not practicing what you preach. And she sends it to the pastor. She comes to church that Sunday. And as she walks in, a deacon comes up to her and greets her and says, Hey, I'm so sorry. Last week we got all the prayer requests and we give them to the, to the pastor and we were going through them and, and one fell out. And I just found it. And it was your prayer request. So sorry we didn't get your prayer request to the pastor. Now you see, this woman wasn't being charitable in her judgment. She wasn't thinking, well, maybe there's a reason the pastor didn't come visit me when he visited another church member. There could be some good possible reason. There may be a bad reason, but there could be a good reason. And until she had all the information, she didn't wait to cast the judgment. Now we're to be charitable. We're to practice the golden rule, do to others as we would want them to do to us. In verse 3 it says, why do you see the speck? Speck is a small thing that is in your brother's eye. But you don't notice the log that is in your own eye. He's saying, hey, you see other people's sin is big and yours is small, but it's to be just the opposite. You don't know what all's going on with somebody. You only get a glimpse of what's going on with them. Scripture speaks that we all have sinned. It's one thing we all have in common. No one escapes this. Scripture says all this also. The wages of sin is death. If you're a sinner, your consequence is death and eternal separation from God. That's the concept. That's what Scripture teaches. The wages of sin is death. Now, in the United States, if someone commits a particularly heinous crime, they have what's called the death penalty. Now, I'm not speaking on the death penalty in any way. I'm just acknowledging that they have it. And a person who has committed that crime, they'll be put in a portion of the prison that they call death row. Everybody there is waiting for the day to come when they will be put to death for the crime that they've committed. Now, do you think those inmates on death row are looking at each other going, hey, um, your crime's worse than mine and, and yours is bad. You're, you're worse than me. They're all looking going, we're going to die. Our penalty for what we've done is death. And that's the reality of who we are. Our penalty for our sin is death. And when we look at other people and go, hey, I'm better than you, we fail to see the gravity of our own sin. We, see to, fail to, we seek to minimize it. Have you ever had somebody confront you with sin? What do you do? I can tell you, my first response is to want to defend. It's not that big a deal. Or minimize, you know. It's not that big a deal. I didn't do this. You did something else. Some people run away, want to hide, want to avoid. Some people want to hurt a person back. Oh, you, you're confronting me with my sin. Well, I'm going to get you back. When this is actually a great act of love and mercy, though, we often don't see it that way. 
of the things my wife and I like to do is many mornings we'll go for a run walk. So the kids will go to school and then we'll do a, a, a little loop. We'll run and then we'll walk and we'll talk and we'll do these things. And just this week, as we're going on our run walk, my wife kindly, graciously points out an area of struggle. And the area of struggle that she points out is based on this guy's selfishness. It's based on my sin. Now my first response is to want to defend myself. Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. I, you, you, you have some sin too in this. That's what I want to jump to. Remember, this is about right relationship, loving relationship. And in it, you pull back and you look and you go, my sin hurts other people. All relational difficulty is due to sin. And you can't control anybody else's sin. All you can deal with is your own. I could take a show of hands. Any of you have relational difficulty with anybody? I think a lot of hands would go up. Any of you have relational difficulty in your homes? I think a lot of hands would go up. And if that's the case, somewhere there is sin involved. And the enemy, he is so deceptive and so tricky. Do you notice here it says the plank in your eye? There is a plank in your eye, a speck in your brother's eye. You see their sin. You see a little bit of it, but you've got a whole lot of sin in your life that you're not paying any attention to. Now, here's where a lot of us are. My sin, it's not that bad. I mean, I don't commit murder. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not stealing. I, you know, most things are... are are pretty good. I'm not that big a sinner. But you see, when we start to realize our sin separates us from people, we start to go, oh, there's the sin of jealousy. We ignore it. But when we're jealous of somebody, oh, that gets in the way of a relationship. It'll start to mess it up. Gossip. That begins to mess up relationships, that sin. Here's one, procrastination. In certain instances, this can be a sin. Saying, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, I'll do it later. That gets in the way of the relationships with other people. Because you're not loving them enough to take care of what you need to take care of. In time, you just keep pushing it off. Complacency, idleness, laziness. Those are sins we never talk about. These are the planks in our eye that we don't see. Gluttony, overeating. How about this one? Jesus commanded us to make disciples, to share our faith. And we share our faith with no one. We don't make any disciples. We're not investing in anyone. That's why he's got you here. That's why he didn't take you home when you received him. He left you here for ministry to do work right where you are. It's a plank in your eye when you don't see that. Children who are disobedient. The Bible gives you one thing, obey your parents. Plank in your eye. Greed. 
unfaithfulness with wealth, not working heartily at what you're doing, anything that can become an idol that you view as more important than God, your family can become an idol over God. Your job can become an idol over God. Your position, your reputation, your status, your personal appearance. Are you beginning to see? We got a big old plank in our eye. There's a lot of things in our life that we're not dealing with. And we're looking at the speck in other people's eyes. I see a speck in your eye. Let me come help that. When we don't notice that our sin is wrecking havoc on those around us. Good news is, we need a little good news. Good news is Jesus has a cure. Verse 5, you hypocrite. The word hypocrite is someone who wears a mask, who pretends to be one way, but really is another way. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye. If we're going to focus on anything today, get the log out of your eye. That's the focus. You've got a log in your eye. There's sin in your life that you're not dealing with. And God wants you, because He's merciful and gracious, to confess it, to see it, to deal with it. You see, this sermon, if you're thinking of other people, you're missing it. It's for you. And if you start to deal with a log in your eye, your relationships with others will be transformed. Because we act like our sin is just my sin. No, our sin is cataclysmic to those around us. Others feel it. It damages all these things. You see, the cure is Christ. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. So we should restore somebody being gentle, gracious. Keep watch over yourself lest you be tempted. So when we see somebody else's sin, it is a gracious, kind thing to confront them with it. But often we don't have the relationship or we don't talk about our sin enough that when we go and do it, it brings greater damage because we want to protect, defend. When someone confronts you with your sin, you want to minimize it when actually there's a thread of truth that you need to go, I need to deal with that truth. We're to do this gently, kindly saying, I'm a fellow sinner who wants to walk with you. I ask you, do you have anybody in your life that if they saw sin in your life, loves you enough, cares for you enough, knows that it will damage your life enough to say, hey, you may not see this, but it's hurting you. And where you can do the same for them. You see, Christianity is not a solo thing. It's not like, hey, it's me, it's all me. No, we need other people where we do this, where we go back and forth. Husbands and wives, can you graciously, you know each other. The people who see your sin most are the people closest to you. They're the ones who see it the most. Do you ever ask somebody, hey, you see the thing about life? 
that God may need to work on? Because here's the thing, we're blind to it. We're blind, that means you can't see it. So you need an assist. You need another brother or sister in Christ to look at you and go, hey, let me help you out with this. Let me, let me graciously, kindly love you and they point out this area. But if we're not willing to allow them to do the same, we go back and forth. That's the beauty of Christian community, Christian fellowship, discipleship. All these things play out in our lives. So he says, once you've dealt with the log, once you start to deal with your sin, then you can see more clearly to help somebody else. When we truly grasp the beauty of the gospel, this message, I'm a sinner, I've rebelled against a holy God, and God came and took my place. He took my sin. I deserve wrath. And Jesus on the cross took the wrath of God that I deserve. He got the punishment that was designed for me. When we understand that he's died for our sin, that he hated our sin so much, saw the damage our sin brought to others and to our relationship with God, when we understand that, we will hate our sin more. Sometimes we just receive and accept our sin. It's been a hard week for me going over this passage. Each night I was about to go to bed, I'd lay and think like, through my day, all the blind spots, the ways that I'd been maybe judgmental to somebody, the ways that my sin had hurt somebody. And God's doing heart surgery. Heart surgery hurts. This message isn't meant to be comfortable. God's not trying to make us comfortable. He's trying to make us holy. He's trying to make us more like his son, Jesus. And if we aren't willing to undergo the heart surgery, it won't happen. Final thing Jesus gives is a caution. Verse 6 is a peculiar verse. It's a unique verse. Do not give the dogs what is holy. Do not give pearls to pigs. These are not cute, cuddly dogs. These are ravenous dogs that run up and down the street that have rabies. And if they bite you, they're going to hurt you. Stay away from the dogs like that. A pearl. If you throw a pearl to a pig, what's it going to do? A pearl doesn't, a pig doesn't want a pearl. He wants food. He's not going to do nothing with that pearl. He'll trample it under his feet. And when you haven't given him what he wants, he'll turn and attack you. Most think this pearl is the idea of this gospel message that Christ has died for you. He's made a way for you to be right with God and in making a way for you to be right with God and the more right you are with God, the more right you are with others. You want to see how your relationship with God is going? Look at your relationship with others. Those two are intricately tied together. Sometimes, you may tell somebody the gospel and they'll turn and attack. They'll want nothing to do with it. Sometimes you could even lovingly share with someone, hey, I love you too much to see you continue in this sinful way. And they may turn and attack you. So there's a caution. Don't be surprised when you're turned and attacked. 
Because no one likes to hear that they've got sin in their life that needs to be dealt with. The question is, when we hear it, do we own it and go back to Jesus? Or are we those who turn and attack? Again, Jesus sums up this whole section. We'll get to it next week. The golden rule. Whatever you wish others would do to you, what would do to do you, you also do to them. So the question for us today, and only you can answer this. Are you dealing with that log? Do you know that log is there? Do you know other people see it? Do you know that log is hurting other people? It's hurting your relationship with God? Are you willing to stand before God and say, God, confess. I want better. You see, our continual confession creates a continual reliance on our Savior and we continually need Him. And I mentioned this in the type of judgment this passage is talking about. But when we live in this reality, it changes how we live now. There is a day coming when each one of us will stand before a holy God, a gracious God, a loving God, yet He's just. And we'll stand before Him. And He's going to look and say, Have you sinned? And we're going to be declared guilty of sin. Guilty with the log in our eye. We're going to be declared the guilty. And we're going to be sentenced to death. Our only hope is to say Him. Jesus. He's the one. He paid for my sin. He took my punishment. He took the wrath I deserve because He loves me. He set me free from sin. You see, we are free from the consequences of, of sin when we're Christian. We're also free from the power of sin. But daily we have to come to Christ and cry out, I need you today. Open my eyes. Show me my sin. Help me to love you more. Help me to walk in greater fellowship with those around, you, around me for your glory. I pray that we might do that, church. I pray that we might live more in light of the day that is to come than in the day we're in now. As we live today, live knowing a day is coming when we will be with Him forever. All of us who've trusted in Him, that your sins are forgiven. So even as we talk about sin, the reason I can talk about sin in a heavy way, because the Bible talks about it a lot, but it's because I know that there's a cure and that cure is Jesus Christ. I pray that you've trusted Him. I pray that you know Him. Let's pray. God, I confess this week, given as I've seen sin in my life, I see the way it can hurt other people, the way it can hurt relationships, the way I can be blind to sin. Lord, I want to thank you for forgiving me of sin. And I want to thank you that your sacrifice is sufficient for everyone in this room. 
Lord, we're the church. So we celebrate that our forgiveness is in Christ, not in our works, not in our religious practices. It's in Christ alone. That's where our sufficiency and our hope is. So we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for that. But Lord, we want to live more in that victory. We want to taste more victory in our life over sin. So continue to sanctify us and make us holy. We know the process stings a little. It hurts as you work on our hearts. But we pray that the overflow of our heart is a love for Jesus that extends to one another. And we thank you that we are forgiven. This message that you gave in the Sermon on the Mount is not a light message, it's a heavy message. But it's in the heaviness that you say your yoke is easy, your burden is light. You'll carry the sin for us. You'll take it to the cross. We don't carry our sin. We don't carry our own burdens. You take it and you forgive us. So empower us to live this way, we pray. And God, if there's any here today who haven't trusted this glorious message, may today be the day. Work on their hearts. Let them know that you love them, that they are wonderfully, gloriously made, yet sin has hurt them. Let them trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.